Hello, everybody. Welcome to another thrilling episode of JavaScript Jabber. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio, but the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. With me on my panel today, on our panel, excuse me, not just my panel, we have AJ O'Neill with a full mouth. How are you doing, AJ? Yo, 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 coming at you live with a bowl full of egg. Egg, is that real egg or like egg whites like I eat? No, it's real egg, I think. I mean, if they're still selling that at the at the store, if it's cheaper than synthetic. Oh, okay, but they come from a shell. Mine comes from a carton a lot of times, so that's why I ask. So yeah. Yeah, these ones are, whether real or not, it's from a shell, That's I think. Cool. Actually, I didn't do it. My wife did it. So how do I so know? You're, you're taking your word for it, in other words? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, good. Also, coming live from Tel Aviv, Mr. Dan Shapir. How are you doing, Dan? Hey, I'm a traveling reporter today on site with our guests at the Wix development offices. All right, so before we get to the guests, we are talking about Codex. Codex is a new uh, code editor that the geniuses at Wix have come up with, and I so wish I had a duck sound effect, but I don't. So you're going to have to imagine the quacking. Uh, So Dan, I'll throw it to you. Why don't you introduce our guests and take it from there? Sure thing. So uh, like I said, I'm here at the Wix offices. And we're going to be talking about uh, this great offering that they've come up with. It's important to note, though, that this is something that's wholly separate and distinct from the Wix uh, offering, the Wix platform, the Wix service. This is a tool aimed specifically at React developers. And uh, I'll let, let our guests talk in more detail about it. But first, I'd like to introduce them or actually let them introduce themselves. So please go ahead. Uh, hi, I'm Nadav Avrami. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Wix. And basically, I'm the guy that keeps building visual editor after visual editor after visual editor. <laughs> With increasing <laughs> complexity. <laughs> totally. Started from no code, low code, and now it's your code. Um, and I'm Tom. Uh, I've been with Wix uh, for close to 10 years now. Uh, started as a script kitty doing... Uh, components and applications on our internal frameworks and I'm kind of hopped around the company uh, doing different things. These days, I lead development on our open source project called Stylable, which is a topic for another day. <laughs> um, and I lead developer relations for Codex. Uh, so I'm very glad to be here talking about it. What is this thing Codex and why should our listeners care about it? Exactly. Well, I think I'll try to answer that. Uh, Maybe I'll start with how we came to to build this thing. We've been building visual editors for the last 16 years or so at Wix. And as Tom said, of increasing complexity. But we've always, whenever we're building this editor and the components to show in the viewer, uh, we've always been using the main technologies that front-end developers use today. And we're missing out a visual editor for ourselves. So that's pretty much the main reason we started building this. Because we keep seeing the rift between UI, uh, UX people, and the developers, and the broken cycle of work that they have between them. And we see it for ourselves, and we see it outside. And we just wanted to take what we do with visual editors and take it to the same world of our work. So basically, if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're saying is that there's a disconnect between the work 
that designers, let's say, or, or UX experts are doing with uh, tools like, uh, I don't know, Figma or, or something like that. And the JSX code that so many developers are using these days, that there's like a lot of manual effort at the end of the day involved in taking a design that the designer created using whatever tool it happens to be and moving it manually into code. Is that an accurate description? Told it. As long as you're using uh, common web practices and frameworks, the, the you don't have a visual editor, and it means that the designer has to work in Figma, and you have to translate it into whatever it is you're building as a developer. And I think that's the rift we're trying to solve here. Uh, it's still very early. There's a lot to do, but that's that's where we're aiming to start to solve. And, and also, I think like there's there's another thing here where. You know, even if you're talking about the work of the front-end developer by their by the by themselves, they're using text, they're using HTML, React, CSS, whatever technologies they've chosen to represent visual things. And of course, we all work with the browser and we work with the dev tools and all the things that we have to kind of make sure that the things do what we think they should do or what we want them to do. Um, but every developer is, is, is every front-end developer is probably very familiar with like applying a background red to something just to see where it is on the screen to, to, to understand where that element has gone to. So even there, between the code and the actual visual output that we're producing, that we're building, there's a disconnect there. And a lot of time we would find ourselves jumping between dev tools and code and dev tools and code, kind of in this loop to, to try and build the thing that we want. Um, Codex lets you do that in one place, right? Because you have both your code running but all of the insights from running it at the same time. So if I'm thinking about developers, for example, at the company where I work, which is uh, Next Insurance, um, very often I see them, you know, with uh, using, let's say, two monitors, uh, Visual uh, Studio open in, on one monitor, usually the browser open in the other, and basically just leveraging hot code reload to make changes in the code and see how it impacts the UI that they're working on. I think you forgot the dev tools in the third window, or half <laughs> of one of them. But apart from that, it's very accurate. We're trying to solve all of those together and give them a good experience together. And on top of that, for some things that it really makes sense to edit visually, we want to give you the tools to edit your code visually. And we are giving it. We want to expand it. And if I understand correctly, this tool is currently targeted at React developers, correct? That what you're, the basic building blocks that you're working with are React components and JSX code. Uh, yeah, uh, in terms of, of the, the supported stack kind of beyond that, it's uh, React and TypeScript. We gain a lot of insights uh, from, from projects using in, uh, TypeScript that let us actually do some of the magic that we do. Um, and on the styling side, we currently support CSS, uh, SAS, uh, both in their modules variants as well, and Stylable. With uh, Tailwind support coming up, um, ever since our launch, uh, the, the community has let us know everywhere that uh, they want Tailwind for this. So hopefully very soon uh, we'll have some exciting news on that. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 code, it's React, it's TypeScript, it's CSS. So uh, obviously, it's a bit difficult to describe something like this, uh, um, you know, in in a podcast without actually showing a video or anything. Although there are videos on YouTube, so our listeners can easily check what it looks like, and they can also, I understand, go to your website, download it for free, and and try it out. They can download it for free. Um, they can uh, try and play with the demo that we have online. Um, it doesn't oh, have. Oh, cool. it, It's it's not fully featured. Like it doesn't have the Git integrations and some of the things that have more to do with your local environment, um, but it definitely gets you uh, the, the feel of Codex. So essentially, it's downloading a client-side application and installing it and using it as a visual editor. Yes, AJ? Uh, it is really important that people know that it is not spelled duck, because we were making that joke earlier. It is C-O-D-U-X, like what sure. I won't say, because you said it's not like that. <laughs> okay, okay. That's true. We're thinking of changing it, though. We really like the two ducks connotation. Um, so again, but going base, uh, back to the um, user experience, or in this case, the developer experience. So I go to the Codux website. I download this as a development tool. I install it on my local computer. I use it in a way that's kind of similar in a lot of ways to, let's say, VS Code. Yeah. Uh, to and it actually does let me edit the code itself in in a visual editor that's built into it. But in addition to that, I also have what I guess you call a board or a stage where I actually see the visual representation of let's say a particular component in a way that's very reminiscent of a storybook, I guess. Uh, yes. Plus the fact that you can edit it. Yeah. Um, well, it's similar and dissimilar in a way because uh, Storybook does not let you edit code. You can create knobs and stuff like that that let you edit, create a board that is dynamic. Uh, Codex basically reads the TypeScript information of your components, and then when creating a board, you can just compose it in Codex, and you don't need to create it outside. So uh, in our experience, we use Codex internally for building Codex, our UX teams build a lot of boards and components in Codex that we then later use in the code. If I could interrupt a couple quick questions. Um, what is Codex written in? What is it? A Rust? Is it Go? Is it C? Is it what is what is the tool itself actually written in? Uh, TypeScript, uh, React, Stylable, and, and a handful of third-party libraries, but the core of it is TypeScript, React, and Style. Oh, an electron. Okay. Electron or what opens it? Electron. Yeah. Okay, so it's electron. And electron actually is is an interesting fit for us because I know previously some applications have gotten a lot of flack for for choosing electron um, due to performance reasons or or. or It's huge. It's it's like downloading an operating system. (laughs) Um, True. True. Um, but for our specific case, I think it kind of works out because if you imagine the parts that kind of bring Codex together and the experience that it provides. So we need Node because we're going to run your, your JavaScript and your Node code. We need a browser, like a real browser, because we actually need to render things as they would be seen on a browser. We're not just using that as some sort of way to deliver like a very rich app. We're 
rendering things the, the same way that you would um, during your development process. Um, and we're wrapping all this together kind of in, in a nice cross-OS, cross-platform uh, way. So in other words, well, Electron might be huge, but you're using all a lot of the aspects that Electron gives you, basically. Yeah. Well, the I think the problem with Electron is that it's unnecessary in terms of... Well, we don't have better tools that are readily available, and I think that's why people still use it. Because if we had something better that was easy to use, then I think people would hop on that bus. But every browser is Chrome now, right? So except for Safari, and Safari is close enough to Chrome that it doesn't matter. And so if you just use the operating system web view, you you would ship something that weighs in at kilobytes rather than at hundreds of megabytes. But yeah. again... But AJ, this is a development tool. So we're talking about developers downloading... Uh, a one-time download or, or of, of something to a developer's workstation. You know, we're we're talking about people who download Xcode. So, so uh, I, I get yeah. it. I get it. I, I'm just I, I'm just saying that I'm in the camp of I would love to see something like Tori, or th that's the one that's in Rust, and there's another one that's in Go that I I'm I think it's called Wally. I can't remember the name of it right now, or Whale, or something like that. But no, that's different. But uh, I, I would love to see something come along and make it easy for us to just use browser web views because it is, it is obnoxious to sit and wait for that download. And I mean, unless you're on gigabit fiber, but I think that's still not most people. It, it's a, it's an yeah. aside thing. I'm just I'm just saying it's out there. I'm looking forward to it. I totally agree. We were looking for options ourselves. We don't like uh, the the weight of Electron. We don't like the time that it takes to build an Electron app. Uh, we were looking at Tauri as one of the options, but again, it's something we didn't get time to change yet, and the alternatives are not that uh, ready yet. StackBlitz might be an interesting technology to look at in this context, especially with their new web containers. Uh, it it could be an interesting interesting match. Anyway, but going back, so. It's a tool that you download and install once. It's not something that you need to download or open in the browser each and every time you, you launch it. And you run it as an application. And we said it's an editor. So do you envision people using this instead of VS Code, alongside VS Code, interchangeably with VS Code? Like, what's the common use pattern that you envision? I think... I can tell you how I use it. First of all, I use it with VS Code, and I, uh, we're the people behind it. I use it with one uh, screen I have Codex, and another screen I have VS Code. Uh, we just added uh, the functionality to go directly to VS Code from a lot of the panels and a lot of the places. Uh, and there's so many... The ecosystem of VS Code, plugin-wise, is so rich that I don't see anybody changing their ideas soon, and I really don't think that that's what we come to solve. I think the main thing here is that a lot of times it makes sense to see the things visually and to edit them visually, and it's something that needs to live alongside your idea. So talking about plugins, you know, uh, why isn't it just uh, itself a plugin inside VS Code? Why does it even need to be? A separate uh, application that you run alongside it. 
there's two use cases we're seeing, and already in the users we're seeing that we just launched a couple of months ago, but already we're seeing uh, a lot of places where you have developers that collaborate with the uh, UX. And there it a lot of times makes sense for them, for the UX uh, uh, or the product designers, as they like to be called these days, uh, for the product designer to edit the things visually and he doesn't need VS Code. So we're definitely okay. looking at adding a VS Code plugin for opening it, uh, opening products for a developer. Uh, I'm not sure if it will be in place in VS Code because we really need the real estate for a visual editor. So it's not something that I can see as a small panel in VS Code. But we are looking at an extension for opening a Codex uh, on a specific file, on a specific thing, project, very fast from VS Code. Now, if I give like a quick overview of what I recall Codex looking like, mm -hmm. you have effectively like a stripe on the left, a stripe on the right, a a center top part and a center bottom part. Obviously, each one can collapse. The part on the left, as I recall, is like the component hierarchy. Yeah, that's what we call the elements tree. Um, and it provides you with, <coughs> sorry, it provides you with a, um, a visual representation of the structure and to a degree as the state of your application. So it's JSX as a tree. Bottom line. But it also includes like logical properties that result during your runtime. So if, for example, you have conditionals in your code, right? You have uh, a branching of, of your component that can render, render two things. We would represent that branching as a oh. visual indicator. If wow. you have a repeater, something that generates multiple items uh, through a function call, through map, something like that, then we would identify that and signify all of those colors. So you actually look, as it were, at <coughs> the output of the JSX rather than at the JSX itself. I'm looking at it all. <laughs> We're looking at both. We're synthesizing an, a view that basically takes a lot of stuff from static analysis of your code that's looking at the JSX, and another part that reads from the actual state in the viewer currently, which what is the rendered JSX, as you said. Uh, and then we're synthesizing a view from both. Because if you're looking at a, it's okay to read a repeater. You manage to do it in some cases. If you're looking at it from a code, you can see a map statement and assume that it's a repeater inside the J6. But you wouldn't know how many items are rendered and in what states. And if you want to look at computed styles, they won't have the, lot, the same computed styles a lot of the time. So you really want to be able to select the three instances and know that they're connected the same node in the code. That's really cool. I, I'm thinking, you know, thinking about it as, as you're describing it. And that's, you know, that's a tough nut to crack. That's a difficult challenge. So anyway, so on the left-hand side, we said we have like a tree of the elements or components. On, on and the center top, we have a visual representation of, of the actual component. Like I said, kind of like storyboard, but interactive. Yeah, the, the state. The center bottom part is the actual code, like you might see in VS Code when you're editing the 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 TypeScript or JavaScript code of the component. And on the right hand side, if it's open, you have like a panel for editing styling, the CSS and stuff like that. Oh, you have uh, three panels on the right side. Okay, you have. Styles panel for editing styles, computed styles for seeing what's the current computed values of the styles, 
and the property panel that basically shows you the component, the properties of the component or oh, the element okay. that you're selecting. And of course, for each of these panels, we're attempting to provide like the best visual experience for it. So the right, so if I'm looking at the properties, it's kind of, I guess, similar to what I might see in the React panel inside uh, 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 the Chrome DevTools. Well, I think one of the things that Codex does that is interesting here, even uh, if you look at uh, the architecture-wise, uh, the architecture level of it, is that if you look at IDEs, they usually give you information from static analysis of the code. And if you look at DevTools, they usually give you information from the running of the code. And Kodak connects both of them. And that means that if you're looking at the property panel, unlike, uh, unlike the React DevTools, you're going to see a method call and not the value of the method call. You're going to be able to edit the arguments of the method call. You're also going to see the computed value of what the method call returned because we get that from the rendered side. Interesting. So if, for example, you have, I don't know, some component that uh, receives like a user object as one of its properties, um, then our visualizers in the panel will automatically, from the static generation, pick up the types and the schemas for these properties. So you will have nice visualizer for them. And from the runtime, from the actual code that's being run, we'll extract all the values and kind of show you what's really there so that if you want to change it and edit it, you could do so simply. So I can obviously, I guess, well, obviously, I, I'm assuming, I can edit the properties of the React component that's currently on the stage, and you know their types, like you said, from the TypeScript. Uh, so you know that something is Boolean or string, yeah. or and you validate that and enforce it. Uh, and you can also create an appropriate UI, like a toggle for Boolean and stuff like that. Exactly. Um, and whenever I change something, I guess it's automatically reflected in that uh, top part that's kind of like a storyboard. And I and I instantly see the, the, the changes that I'm making. That's cool. But the other aspect, which you mentioned, is that it's wholly editable, which means that I can... Um, add stuff, for example, into it. So I can drag additional child elements or components into the, the component that I'm currently editing. Uh, what's that experience like? As, as best that you can describe it. Uh, you so, know. so right now we have uh, what we call the add panel, uh, which kind of provides you with an overview of all the various HTML elements that you can add. Um, all of the local components that were picked up and discovered automatically in your project so that you could reuse those, um, as well as third-party uh, components or libraries that you might be using. And then adding them is as simple as searching for the component you want and dragging it over to the elements tree. So I could theoretically, I don't know if you support it now exactly or not, but I could uh, import, uh, um, what's it called, uh, a design... Um, design system a design system and then get all the components in the design system as things that i can like add into my components like building blocks yeah exactly currently uh, you need to basically give us a json file that says where the components are from that point on we know how to read them and their properties in a lot of ways this kind of reminds me of some of the things if you guys recall 
Steve, AJ, the conversation that we had with uh, Steve from Builder. I know that the, the purpose is really different and the environment is different, but, in a, but there are definite similarities in that you edit React components using other React components as child components. It's, it's really interesting. Um, cool. Um, and you said that it works with, with React. What about other frameworks? You know, Steve, I think, would love to have something like that in Vue, for Vue, I'm guessing. Yes, for those of us that are design challenged and CSS challenged, <laughs> the more visual tools, the better. <laughs> uh, we'd love to support as many frameworks as we can. We can see how uh, we'll add, a, we're hoping to add a new JSX-based framework soon. I can't tell you a date yet, but Codex is not built to work only on React. The idea is that we're going to add, uh, at the very least, the second framework ourselves, and then open it for pluggability, and hopefully, whoever wants can add another framework and another framework. So Vue is a bit uh, unlucky in that regard, in that for some reason it insists on not using JSX. <laughs> That's a good thing. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so additional JSX uh, frameworks uh, that would be solid, uh, quick, I'm th uh, preact. Is there anyone I'm missing? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, uh, and what about the meta frameworks? Can can I use it with uh, something like an XJS or a Remix? So if if I said that. Um... With Tailwind, we heard a lot of community like enthusiasm and, and, and support and request for, for Codex to support. The next is, is even beyond that. Mm. Um, the next community has definitely let us know that uh, they are interested in this and that they want to see this working um, with that framework. And we're uh, looking into it. We're definitely uh, deep into the, the exploration there. And it's with meta frameworks, it's, it's a question of kind of like how much magic they do behind the scenes, right? Because their mission um, is, depends on how you state it, but th they want to make their users' lives as easy as possible. So they will try to, to uh, have things be accessible or easier to use, even if like it changes the code a bit or it requires some uh, voodoo from them when doing the building of the project or all sorts of processes like that. Can you give practical examples of what you mean? What, uh, like an example of some magic that uh, Next.js might be doing behind the scenes in order to streamline the development process? Oh, they're like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> they have like all the magic. Uh, there's fonts. There's fonts. There's even the building of, uh, of the images. So in Next gives you something out of the world. By the way, all of the magic is amazing. I'm not saying I'm not against the magic. I'm just saying we're struggling to support it. Yeah. But uh, one of the uh, amazing examples of magic is that uh, when you want to include an image in your project, you always have the question of different sizes and, and qualities that you want to, uh, to use. And they basically, one of the things of magic they did is that they... Uh, simplify this all for you. You can just request it from a specific URL according to a convention, and they build it for you. Now, another example is one we just saw, which is amazing in my eyes as a concept, 
is a method that you write in your module called inter that is there for loading fonts. And although you write it and it seems in your code like it's gonna run in runtime when the module is evaluated, a loader just removes it, imports a CSS file instead and builds this CSS, uh, this CSS file according to the parameters of the function. Now, it's a great time saver, don't get me wrong. It's just a hassle to find all these spinners and support them. Yeah, because for us, if we're like at the end of the day, we take your component, we render it, and then we want to have it be selectable and have it be editable and all of those things. The further your component is from like the standard behavior of the technologies that we're supporting and that we're using, React and TypeScript, anything that like has some other process or some other bit that is responsible for processing it or building it is another step for us to, to, to support. Understood. So basically you're saying that, uh, for example, the magic of bundlers can get in the way, that bundlers move things around, uh, they modify it. We know that a lot of uh, frameworks are using all sorts of transpilation tricks. Uh, and, and, and like you said, the further away uh, it gets you from that original code, the more challenging it becomes because you effectively need to kind of reverse engineer it and be able to deal with it. Interesting. So I have a question. Um, you've mentioned React and TypeScript. If you are, is your code required to be written in TypeScript for Codex to be able to work on, on, uh, on the code? Well, it's not required, but we don't support Babel plugins at this time. Uh, and the biggest, uh, bigger question here is what you're going to see in the property panels. Because we rely on TypeScript types a lot. Uh, if you have React prop types, it will also work. Uh, or even JS docs uh, that specify type. But you have to have some type information for us to show meaningful property panels. Is React props types even still a thing? It seems like TypeScript is kind of... Uh kill the need. Uh, the only reason we actually support it is that TypeScript supports. Mm, okay. So it, we took what TypeScript had to offer and whatever was easy to support there, saying, okay, it's easy. Why not support it here? Uh, I agree. I don't see why I, I think TypeScript won that role. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I would not go back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. no. Yeah, I well, you know, we all still remember working in React and JavaScript. The, the interesting thing is that today, even when you're working in JavaScript, uh, it feels like you're effectively working in TypeScript because uh, TypeScript is running in your development environment. So yeah. you get the, the type bindings for all the APIs that you're doing, using for the framework, for whatnot. And it's also trying to infer as much as it possibly can from your own code so even when you're using JavaScript, even without something like a JSTOC, you're half working in TypeScript anyway. Yeah, yeah. All the hints, all the suggestions, it's all there. <laughs> yeah. And we build on top of that. So basically, even if you're working in JavaScript, Steve, but the third party you're using uses TypeScript, you'll see amazing uh, property panels. Now, how long has this tool been out? So about a year ago, um, we started like a closed alpha uh, with a number of handpicked partners that kind of were our initial test group, you could say. Um, 
then we had a bit of back and forth with that, trying to, to see that we're actually on target with what we want. And on December 5th, just two, two, two months ago, a little bit more, um, we released our free uh, public beta. Cool. So currently, it's a free public beta of the software. Now, again, to stress, this has nothing to do with the Wix, the, the service. So I don't need to register a Wix account. I don't need to do anything with Wix, or do I, or is it somehow associated with it? A, a Wix account is is required um, at this point. But I don't need to build a Wix website. No, no, or no. Like it's that. it's a completely standalone product uh, meant to run on local development projects on your machine, um, and does not currently integrate into Wix or its offering um, in any substantial way. So, so down, the Wix... down the line, down the line, there are some really interesting options for us there as well. Because Wix has a, a pretty big um, basket of offerings uh, for users, not just developers, like all of the various systems, all of the various integrations uh, that the company has developed and, and added. So, so basically what you're saying is that in some ways it's kind of like uh, Vercel's attitude towards Next, that you can use Next.js without any of the Vercel services, but there's obviously bindings which can make it easier for somebody who wants to deploy if they their Next.js application to use Vercel. So you're like kind of saying that I can use uh, Redux wholly independent of Wix, but in the future it might be that uh, I'll get some benefits from using the tools together, if I'm if I'm understanding correctly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a possibility and something that we're looking for uh, towards in the future. Uh, for right now, our focus is definitely on gaining adoption, getting codecs in front of as many developers as we can to, to get their feedback, to kind of see that this serves them well, that it solves a problem, that it increases their efficiency, that it's fun to use. Um, and, and once we have that and we can see that our core of, of the product is, is stable, then we can start opening up pluggability and opening up additional services and kind of see uh, wh where the road takes us and what the community wants. And like you said, for now, the beta is, is free to use. And basically what you're getting is just straight on React code. So there's no like any sort of tie-in or something like that. That uh, let, Let's say tomorrow I decided I don't want to use uh, Codex anymore. It's I just have React code. It's not that something that's in any way tied like to any anything proprietary. I think more than that, a lot of the users will think uh, don't create a new project in Codex. They load their existing React project into Codex and they edit that. Yeah. Okay. And, cool. and in that place, the only thing that we're doing is we're adding one very small dev dependency that's used to render the boards, right? Okay. So that's kind of the integration point for that. Beyond that, there's no telling if a project has used Codex. There's no signature. There's no special format that we have. If you used Codex on your project and then decided that you didn't like it or, or wanted something else and you removed it, nobody should be able to tell that it was used. So going back again to our discussion of, of let's say, Next.js, what you're saying is currently I can't easily just open my Next.js project as a whole using Codex, but I can certainly take part, like individual components of that project, add, edit them within Codex, and then you know bring them like back and forth from that Next.js project. Exactly. The first user we actually that shared the, this project with us and showed us what he did. 
based in China. He converted his React, uh, his Next.js project from using um, the MUI component library to the Radix one. Radix, yeah. Radix one. Uh, using Kodak. And uh, it's an existing project. It's the Next.js project. I think to, to specifically the magic that is the specifics of Next, like font loading, image loading, some of, some of, uh, some of that stuff, we still need to support, but whenever it's just a React TypeScript uh, component inside the next project, there's no issue. Yeah, there's also going to be other magics, like their link component, the way that they handle forms, stuff like that. There, there's definitely going to be some, exactly. some magic involved. We're, we're, we're probably going to start there with something relatively basic to, to kind of start getting, again, feedback and, and seeing that people find, find this appropriate for their needs. And next time, as we move forward. Now, and Adab, I remember that when we talked about this, uh, the, the the work that you were doing so a few days ago in, in preparation for this uh, uh, interview, you told me that you had an interesting situation. You didn't go into details, where you tried to go you uh, down certain paths and ran into interesting challenges along the way, which kind of caused you to rethink the architecture of the solution that you came up with? Uh, yes, we tried to build a very similar project in Wix a few years back. But I think the main difference was that instead of relying on open source solutions, some of them were not there yet, we tried to build everything. We basically tried to build the framework for the user, the styling solution for the user, the state management for the user, and on top of that, on editor, and while doing that, what we found out is that the open source just exploded. And just we looked at our solutions and we said, we wouldn't want to use them at that <laughs> point. So basically, uh, because we were also split up in the work between building these open source solutions and building the editor, uh, it was just too much. And and then we rethought. And we came back to build Kodak saying, we want to edit what's out there. We don't want to create our own proprietary solution. Even if it's open source, it's still going to be ours. We'd rather edit whatever solutions are out there in the industry. So which open source things did you bring into the Kodak project, for example? Well, first of all, I'm talking about the stack of the user. In that last solution, in that uh, trial we did before, we tried to build the stack the user is going to use, the developer. Ah, I understand. So you kind of were looking, if you want to use our tool, you need to build your things this certain way. Yeah, with this styling solution, exactly. with this state management, with this component rendering scheme, so on. Okay, now you're, much, you're, you're going the other route, which is kind of trying to be as agnostic as, as possible and work with whatever the user might have. Yes, exactly. I think that, that trying to compete with the open source here was the biggest mistake we did here because uh, first of all, it moves fast. There's a lot of people in it and, and they know what they're doing a lot of the times, which is sometimes surprising, but they really, really know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, at, at when we realized that, and when we realized that the things that they're building out there are also as editable, as easily editable to us as the things we were planning to build, because anyway, it's a code framework. It has to be. 
If you want to get to real expression, to, to unlimited expression, you have to have code. And the second that you have code, the editability becomes harder. You have to read stuff from the rendered result. You have to read stuff from the code as, uh, uh, using static analysis. And you have to combine all of that. So basically, we found out that we're both building the stack of the user and having the same issues building the editor that we would have if we didn't build the stack. I understand. Um, we're, I'd say we're very much like standing on, on the shoulders of giants here, um, mm. with primarily with TypeScript. We really like TypeScript. Like we like <laughs> just, just about everything that team does and, and, and how they communicate and how they iterate and how they make type. Like TypeScript has, has improved so much over the years that it has provided us with an incredibly rich set of tools that we can build on to, to actually have and gain meaningful insights. Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing uh, what uh, type, in terms of, of implementation, I'm not even talking about the language specification, I'm not talking about the tooling. It's pretty amazing what has been happening with the tooling, the, the language, what's it called, the language server? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that you can actually talk to via an API, have it analyze your code and get back from it information and that, you know, VS Code talks to it and I assume you you kind of talk to it using essentially the same API or something like that. Oh, yeah. We, we, we chat with it a lot. <laughs> we use it. Uh, so many features of Codex use that. If we want to know whether to, to allow dragging into a component, we have to look at its API and see if it accepts JSX uh, children. If you're looking at the property panel, it's there. If you're looking at the style panel, you want to know if to enable adding classes, it's there. All that, pretty much everywhere in the product, we need to read these specific APIs of TypeScript to use them. That is really cool. This is something I really need to think about because uh, it's, it's a really... In the fact that you can introspect code in such a meaningful way uh, and, and the tooling that is happening as a result of that is, is, is really interesting. I think it kind of even goes to an extent to, to stuff like Copilot and, and stuff like that, although they use, you know, different things. I, I, it's, but, but still, it's... You know, it's it's all, all this analysis these days that's happening around code. It's it's really intriguing. I agree. I think this code did uh, something very nice there uh, for the community and for themselves a few years back when they released the LSP format, basically a format for completions and uh, diagnostics for IDs to talk with language services. And then they released a lot of open source language services for different languages. And that changed a lot of the community and a lot of the different uh, IDs today use this uh, API and these language services for all of the languages. So it gives you something really nice to build on top. That's And, and it created this, uh, basically now I can create a language server for uh, VS Code, but it will also be for Atom and, and which others do you remember? Yeah, not off the top of my head, but it's it's Fia, I think, also uses it. Uh, AJ, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm thinking that Vim uses it as well, no? Yeah, yeah, the language server protocol is, I, I think, is 
gained quite wide adoption across many editors. If you go to their documentation page, it has a, a diagram that I don't know if it's only hypothetical and illustrative or if it is uh, actual, but I, it shows several, several different editors with arrows pointing towards language server and then back out towards node and et cetera. And in the way in Codex, we build on top of that. We're saying there's a bunch of more APIs just like the LSP that we need to edit the language visually and not just as a code editor. That's in, in, in many ways, that's how I look at what we're building on top. So we're using the same base capabilities that the TypeScript language server uses. Uh, basically, the language server uses the language service. We're using the language service, but using exposing a lot more APIs there for what we need specifically. And and ideally, I'd love in a few years to open that as another uh, open source format for other editors and other languages. Yeah, like VLSP or exactly. something. <laughs> oh, like a cool, like a like a a, a, a visual uh, language tooling sort of a thing. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to do these set of visual operations, you want to edit properties, you want to edit children, you want to add nodes, remove nodes, move nodes, stuff like that then that sort of thing will be reflected in the APIs. Although at the end of the day, JSX is still a textual format. So, you know, we're still, you know, we might be thinking in 2D or maybe in the future even 3D visual representation. But currently, at the end of the day, we're still editing code. Well, it's definitely a textual format. It just depends which format. Mm. So let's say I'd want to support one day Rust components inside Codex. Ideally... Even before that, we could define an API that basically says, this is the extra things you need to, to create on top of the LSP format for it to be visually edited. Cool. Um, I'm, so just to see where, where you're currently standing, I also remember uh, from looking at the tool that you've got integrations with, uh, with Git, GitHub. Yeah. So that obviously, if you're using it alongside VS Code, you can do the Git stuff from VS Code. But if it's just the designer working and they don't actually need to edit the, the code itself, they can get the automatic Git integration from uh, Codex itself. Yeah, definitely. They are going to edit the code itself. Maybe not visually, but they are going to edit the code itself. Yeah, OK. Um, so, and so essentially, you can imagine like the designer coming to the developer, you know, for that classic, I need this moved two pixels to the right and in a different shade of red kind of request. All of those essentially should be done in the designer thing side. They know what they want to do. It's completely visual and not like business logic related or, or, or has to do with the operation. Let the developer review their work. And yeah, like a regular PR. Um, but so, without the visual editing, most designers can't create that. Yeah. So basically, you're for better or worse, you're giving the designers a foothold into the coding process. They can uh, access the actual code, do changes in the actual code in a way that for them is very similar or reminiscent of the tools that they are used to working with. Yeah. Uh, like Figma, uh, or like tools like for editing uh, the CSS, kind of like a Webflow or something like that, uh, and and 
but it actually impacts the the React code directly, and they can create, a, let's say, a pull request from it and let the developer make sure that they're doing everything correctly in terms of, of the coding standards and whatnot. Exactly. And I imagine each team will need, need to find, like, the flow or the approach that works best for them, like, based on the personas of their developers and their designers and how technical or not technical or willing or unwilling they are to, to collaborate directly on the source. Um, for us, it has worked phenomenally well. Like, our designers use Codex to build Codex, um, and they're able to do quite a bit of heavy lifting in terms of UI and the visual aspects of the product without needing to get any of us involved, any of us developers involved. And we do review it. And it's okay. We can go back to the designer and say, okay, so you've implemented the right thing, but you've placed this class in the wrong CSS file. So they'll change that. That's fine. That like, And, and they'll learn for next time. And the, the, the entire ping pong of going back and forth, back and forth, just for two pixels, another pixel, change the shade, change the color, change the padding. Just let them get it right. Review the change, make sure it's good, send it, send it to production. We actually see that the learning curve, I think, is higher for the specific project than for, than for products. Because a lot of things are conventions in this specific project. As Tom said, maybe we only keep uh, CSS variables in this project in one CSS file. Or colors and fonts are in specific CSS files and stuff like that that are conventions of the specific project. I think we have uh, fireworks here. The interesting thing about the Wix offices is that they're actually in the port area of Tel Aviv, which is kind of a touristy place. So I, I don't know, it seems like there's a bit of fireworks going on outside. Anyway, um, before we kind of conclude with this part, is there anything worthwhile noting about uh, Codex that, uh, that we didn't ask about that's worth mentioning? Uh, I don't think that we mentioned that uh, it's going to be free for open source forever. Um, we're not sure like what's, uh, how is it going to look uh, down the line in terms of, of, of payment and stuff. But we are very clear uh, on the fact that for open source projects, it's always going to be free. Um, and for the foreseeable future, while we're in our beta, that's not going to change. And we're, again, once more, very much interested in people taking it for a spin, giving it a try, and letting us know what they think. And again, it's for React, hardcore React developers. It has, it, like you said, you, you need to register with, a, with Wix in order to get an account, in order to be able to download. But once you download it and, and use it in your project, it has nothing to do with Wix. You're not hosting it on Wix. You can use it like with your existing projects, wherever they run, wherever they're hosted, using whatever... Frameworks, meta frame, well, frameworks, it's React for now, but meta frameworks and whatnot, and it's wholly independent of, of Wix in that regard. Exactly. Whatever hosting or, or, or production setup you have for your project, that's your business, <laughs> um, and we, we care about the components. Steve, AJ, do you have any additional questions before we start to wrap up? No, sir. Mine have all been answered. I have been playing around with this a little bit, so since we're here... I tweeted it y'all with a little bit of first timer feedback, but it's uh, the the. I would like it if we if we didn't have to log in, because it, there's no way to log in. 
quick and easy because you the Google sign on doesn't actually work because it's not in an OS web view. The, yeah. You, you don't have a, an email loop where I can just click a magic link. So I, you know, and it doesn't work with my password manager, but why, why was, what was the need for the login again? Why, why do I have to log in? Cause this is running on my computer, right? It is running your computer. Uh, it's something we're looking at. It's okay. a good question. I, I don't have a good answer for it. <laughs> I assume it's part of the monetization strategy. I mean, that's that's the first thing that cued me in is, oh, this is definitely not free open source forever. Uh, Unless it becomes one. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, we're not sure yet. To tell you the truth. We know that it's going to be free for open source forever. For uh, private projects, we're still looking at it. Well, but how could you know whether something's open source or private? Based based on license, based on you know, um, licensing and public availability is, is probably the public availability. The, the, the hint there. Yeah. All right, that was that was that was it. That was my just. I've been trying to play around with this a little bit and going down some rabbit holes as we've been talking. Yeah, you like going down rabbit holes, AJ, don't you? Well, it's it's not that I do as much as that I, I do what I must because I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, guys, if, if somebody like AJ wants to find it and play with it and, and see what it's all about, where, where do we actually find it? So the website is at codux.com. That's C-O-D-U-X.com. Um, and, of course, you're welcome to follow us on Twitter at CodexIDE. Um, and uh, we have a Discord community, uh, Vibrant and Kicking. Uh, we'd love to see you there as well. There are links on the site and, and through our various posts and tweets. Um, and we want all the feedback. <laughs> Basically, we're at the point we just released this thing a couple of months ago, and we really want you, all the feedback that you guys can forward us. I can also say, like on a personal note, this, as, as you can probably imagine, this is not a small project. Uh, this is not something that we've cooked up in... in a week or two or a month or two. And after a significant amount of time, it's it's really exciting for us to, to see people meet Codex for the first time. Um, if they get it, if they don't get it, um, what they try, what they try and succeed, what they try and fail, uh, what they thought of that we, despite having endless discussions about some things, they just nailed in, in a single operation or, or a single thought. Um, so, so it's really it's really fun to, to kind of be in that place. Yeah, you're in a really magical time, I think, when, when a product actually goes or service goes live for the very first time. Yeah. You know, that's, that's something that's uh, uh, not easily uh, replicated, this kind of a feeling. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. It's, it's different from updating something that's already out there. It's, yeah. it's, it's not the same. And what about you too? If people want to get in touch with you directly, is that possible? Yep. What's the best way to go about it? Of course. Uh, so me, you can find on Twitter as well at uh, Raviv Tom. Uh, one word, Tom Raviv was taken. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the dog fix. It's not my last name, but it is the company I started. So makes sense. Yeah, that, that's by the way, that's also worth a discussion sometime. I, you know, it's it's really interesting to, to be a founder of a multi-billion dollar company that you literally created 
like I, with your bare hands. I think that's something definitely worth worth a conversation. So, it's a long one. It's been 16 years now. It's going to be a long conversation to <laughs> start that one. Yeah. Yeah, for what it's yeah. worth, there's a great video out there on YouTube that uh, there's a few actually that that uh, give you a way to see the editor and you know put it into pictures after listening to a, a description that and we'll have a link for that in the show notes as well. Oh, definitely, definitely. We've had some uh, some really nice collaborations uh, with uh, Theo uh, from uh, T3 and with Colby and with Jesse. So like we have all sorts of good people kind of taking it for a spin and seeing giving their thoughts on it yeah and they put the videos of of the, that spin on uh, on youtube yeah, so yeah. so people can see what what they're how they're using it and what they're doing with it Definitely. yeah cool all righty well thank you gentlemen for coming in and enlightening us about codex quack quack um <laughs> you found the effect <laughs> <laughs> that's my uh, my homemade effect there with that, we'll move on to picks. Picks are part of the show where we get to talk about other things uh, that we want to talk about that may or may not have anything to do with code or tech or so on. So with that, we will start with AJ. AJ always has fascinating picks. What do you got, AJ? All right. First, anti-pick this time. But don't worry, I've got some good ones, too. Apparently, .zip is now a TLD. And what? that concerns me because that seems like a security vulnerability. Because now all of a sudden, links that are being auto, auto translated, text that's being auto translated into links, will look like a download to a zip file that somebody posted on a forum or on Twitter or whatever, but will actually be a link to some site potentially that is maliciously named the name of a popular download.zip. Which I guess browsers will catch that, but that unnerves me a little bit. I'm maybe I shouldn't feel so bad about it, but I kind of do. But good things, good things, good things, good things. Have I got good things for you today? I've got some great things for you today. So, first off, the Beyond Code course is underway. If you'd like to join in, find me and message me on Twitter or whatever. What I'm doing for this phase is live workshops. So I'm not releasing pre-recorded material, but I've got material that I've actually done. One of the workshops, another one of the workshops is this Friday, which for those of you listening is probably a month ago. And so if you're if you're interested in the Beyond Code, we're starting with the shell, and we are and that includes how to well, it includes basically a lot of not being afraid of things, using the best tools, and knowing nuances. So. I've had both people who are beginners that are basically in tech support looking to get into programming and people who have 30 plus years of experience have both enjoyed and learned the workshop, the, the very first workshop. And I expect the same to continue because that's how it's designed. So uh, if you want to tag me at underscore beyond code on Twitter, if you want to find out about that and the workshops are super cheap right now, there is a price to it, but it's basically just to filter out the type of person who is willing to pay versus the type of person who's not willing to pay and uh, and and to select at a low cost because there are stumbles and fumbles and I the goal is for me to get feedback to make this that high quality comprehensive course. But anyway, so there's that. 
that's my my self pick plug. But that's not actually what I was so excited about. That's just what I said first. The grounding mat. There's this there's this thing called an earthing mat. And if you're like me and you work in a shed, uh, which is probably no one, you but it, but either way, you you get static electricity a lot, and you touch something on your desk and it goes. Flop. And I had this weird thing happen where my Ethernet adapter stopped working after a rather large static shock. Not only did it stop working, it brought down the entire network of the whole house. And it's completely scary that one device can propagate through several switches. The best theory I've got so far is that it got stuck in a loop where it was potentially sending pause messages out to the network. And those can propagate across switches. So it wasn't just a simple electrical um, bad voltage, but actually was was maybe sending a message. And somebody explained the the electrical reason why this could happen, but it's the most reasonable so far. But it, it literally brought down my entire network, everything, the security cameras, the Wi-Fi, Every device on the network eventually got whatever this thing was propagating over the course of a few minutes, and it brought down the house. And it took me hours to figure out that it was an Ethernet adapter plugged into a USB hub. Uh, <laughs> it was insane. So now I have an earthing mat, and you plug it into the ground of your electrical power. You might first want to make sure that your ground is connected correctly, because there are cases where the ground is connected to the neutral wire, rather than to the ground. And that is, could be bad for you, but you plug it in and then you sit down your hands and it's a nice leather mat. Uh, and, and so it feels nice. It looks nice. It doesn't look cheap or crappy or anything. And I actually got two of them. I got one for my feet and one for my hands. So I sit on my desk and there's no way that I'm ever going to statically shock something ever again. And it's made a huge difference the last week or two that I've, that I've had this in terms of my comfort of not being afraid of zapping my keyboard and smarting my hand every time I sit down. I also have for you a wonderful, wonderful pick called Video Speed Controller. And this is a Chrome plugin that lets you hit the D or S key to speed up or slow down playback. And it's based on the position of the keys, not what the letters mean. And there's a couple of other hotkeys too. But so you can easily, without having to go into the menu and without having, you just, you open up a video and you just hit the button a bunch of times and then you're at 2.5 speed. And most of the players will only let you play back to, you know, 2X at most. And they don't give you nice increments all the times. A lot of times it's just one or 1.5 or two, but sometimes 1.7 is the right number. And so this video speed playback plugin for Chrome, uh, of course I don't use Chrome, not a heathen. He was brave, but uh, yeah, there's there's that, and I think those are those are my my picks for y'all today. Excellent, thank you, AJ. Uh, I will go next with my picks. I actually have a legitimate pick before I get to the high point of every podcast episode. My dad jokes. Um, so those of you who are watching this YouTube, I'll I'll show you a picture of it. It is. A uh, gift my wife got me for me for my birthday this week, and uh, she thought it'd be useful since I've been getting into downhill skiing again uh, over the past couple of years. It's made by a company called Hinge Shark, and it's a Bluetooth beanie, so it's like a stocking cap beanie. And you'll see it here. And what's cool about it is that it has one on the front. It has lights that you can rotate through, 
as two levels of bright lights and then a flashing blue and red light. So you can look like you're pulling somebody over when you're skiing downhill or something like that. And then it also has two little pieces that sit here in the thing that are speakers that sit in the rim of the hat and they connect by Bluetooth to your phone. So you can have this hat on, you're keeping your head warm and you can be listening to music or podcasts like JavaScript Jabber or whatever you want to listen to on your phone while you're skiing or at least while you're keeping your head warm. Um, <clears throat> as somebody that has a perfect head uncovered by hair, I wear a lot of beanies. And so this could be very, very useful. And you can also you know, talk to it, it has a speaker. So I uh, checked it out with my phone and uh, you can hear. And it's really good because you can't, unless you got it really cranked up loud, people uh, around you can't really hear what you're listening to. So it's and it, it, a little- It should also have yes. a camera. Uh, does not have a camera on it, I believe. Um, just the uh, the audio. So, but the light's cool because then you can you can blind people or make them, or just freak them out by coming at them with red and blue flashing lights, and they don't know why it's on your middle of your forehead. So, and also maybe rear view mirrors. Yes, yes, yes. That could be. I, I'm thinking I can have quite a bit of fun with this. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. What? Night vision. You definitely need night vision on that. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, so moving on to the dad jokes of the week. Um, I have decided <clears throat> that at my funeral, what I would like to have is a closed ca casket funeral, but then I would like somebody to take the bouquet off the casket and throw it in the crowd just to see who's next. <laughs> <laughs> right, sort of freak people out. Um, and then here's just an observation. I found that Having a dog named Shark at the beach was probably a big mistake. <laughs> shark. Ah! Oh, sorry. That's my dog, you know. And then um, finally, uh, one time I was filling out a, a job application. And sometimes you'll notice they have, or they always want to know, you know, your previous life experience or work experience. And so I wrote down that I was a pharaoh in 2300 B.C., Vast experiences, huh, Steve? Vast experiences stretching way back. Somebody wrote that I should have said I was actually a Highlander. You know how they're immortal until there's only one. But uh, I like the Pharaoh just as well. There can be only one. There no, can that's be only one. That's right. No, that's Highlander. It's, that's Highlander. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's Highlander. Sean Connery and I forget the guy who was the, uh, oh, the main yeah. character. That, that, uh, that French actor. I forget his name. Yeah, I forget yeah, it too. Great movie. <laughs> the first one, anyway, just the yes, the TV show was okay, but the movie was, was no, but good. there was also a second movie, I think, which was like abysmal. Oh, that's unfortunate because that was a great movie. Anyway, Dan, your turn. What do you got for us? Yeah, so really, I have a pick and a half. Uh, my main pick is um, uh, another podcast called Fed Bites, and uh, this is um, the reason that I'm shouting it out is that they were uh, kind enough to have me on as a guest in their latest episode. Well, at the time of this recording, not that when this comes out. They may have additional episodes afterwards. It's called uh, Fed Bites. It's by Yoav Ganbao, who was uh, a guest on our podcast a while back, and Roman de Sandler. Uh, they also kind of similar to, to JS Jabber. They talk about uh, uh, 
about uh, web development technologies and JavaScript and whatnot. And I came on to speak about uh, frameworks, like this kind of a uh, uh, toasty topic of which framework is best and which meta framework will win. Uh, and it was kind of an interesting discussion. It actually, the first third was actually a, a conversation about uh, submitting talks and getting into um, conferences and stuff like that. So if you want more of my voice, if JavaScript Jabber is not enough, then I invite you to listen to that episode in particular and to the FedBytes uh, podcast in general. It's it's bytes, not with it's bytes as in biting, not as in bytes like technology. So <laughs> Fed bytes. Uh, and my other pick is the same pick that I pick every time, which is the ongoing war in Ukraine, which people tend to forget, but it's still very much ongoing. And uh, a lot of people there are still suffering. So whatever you can do for the people of Ukraine, please do. And those are my picks for today. You're next. Yep. Okay. So I have uh, two picks. I think one of them is something I've been playing around. It's it's an oldie, but I think it's uh, amazing. I've been playing around with the X state lately, and I think it gives an amazing, very similarly to Codex, it gives you an editor for a specific part of your application specifically the state, and it gives you a way of showing that to the non-tech part of your team, which I think is amazing. So it's something that uh, just as an approach of a state machine that you can visually edit and visually play with, I think it's an amazing approach. Uh, really enjoy playing around with it. Um, and another thing is, I don't know how you can implement it, but I think it's really interesting, is Kung Fu specifically for engineers. I think because... I do Kung Fu uh, weekly uh, with a trainer that talks a lot while he's training me, and you learn the most amazing things. Like uh, One of the things I, I noticed uh, after talking to him that is really interesting is that you have to keep in close quarters when you're fighting, you have to keep an eye on the opponent. Because if you try to react to vision, it takes you so much time compared to reacting to uh, the sense of touch. And, and as an engineer, I can totally see why. The, the visual processing is so much more resource. Uh, it's not CPU, it's not memory. I don't know what it is exactly, but so much more uh, time-consuming that if you try to react to the same punch just by vision, you cannot. And you try to react to it by having an end close by to the end of the opponent so you can even feel the wind of it is moving, you can. I think a lot of things like that, if you look at it from uh, at Kung Fu or other martial arts, just from an engineering standpoint, it's very interesting to see. I think it might be evolutionary. I mean, you know, if, if something like a snake is trying to bite you, you need to react really, really quickly to that. Whereas with vision, there's a lot more processing that needs to happen. I guess. I think it's the limits of the machine in that case. It's like, of course, it will be better evolutionary if you can see instantaneously. But we're not aware of that. And there's like a huge time gap. There's a huge lag between the world we're seeing and the world that's there. And that's one of the places that it becomes evidently clear that it's really nice to play with. Feedback loops. Feedback loops all day. Yeah. Uh, for me, my pick will be also something that I've, I've, I've kind of gone with uh, for many years now, 
they just wrapped up their second season of, of the animated series, and that is The Legend of Vox Machina. Uh, for those who are not familiar, uh, it comes from the House of Critical Role, uh, which is a Twitch stream started by a bunch of nerdy-ass voice actors, as they self-proclaim, um, where they stream their weekly D&D game uh, and have been for like, I don't know, seven, eight years uh, now, up to this point. And along the way, they did a Kickstarter um, to kind of try and get a pilot for one episode of an animated show. It completely blew up and smashed all existing records for TV projects on Kickstarter. Uh, so they were able to do a whole season. Amazon stepped in, said, hey, we like this. We're going to add another season and two more episodes to each season. Uh, so the second season just wrapped up. They've already announced the third. Uh, for anyone with a bit of inkling in their heart for D&D or, or high magic fantasy in general, it's hilarious and it's fantastic and I love it. All righty. So with that, we will wrap up. Uh, thank you for Tom and Nada for coming on and talking about Codex, quack, quack. Thank you so much for having us. It's been an absolute treat to, to, to be here. And thanks for, to Dan for inviting us. Thanks. Our pleasure. pleasure. We're going to sample the sound effect. You're the uh, official sound effect of Codex from now on. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, you don't... <laughs> I will <laughs> record it and send it to you. I will record it and send <laughs> it to you. I'm so much better than the Aflac duck, believe it or not. Uh, as we mentioned before, all these links to videos and etc. will be in the show notes so that you can peruse them at your leisure. Thank you for coming on and we will talk to you next time on JavaScript Jabber.